It was a time when pro wrestling was a pop culture phenomenon. Talk about your songs, talk about John 316. Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. Pay-per-view quality matches live on free TV every Monday night. Monday, July 6th. Back at the battle between WCW Monday Nitro and WWF Monday Night Raw. It's me, Austin! Oh, son of a bitch! What? It's me, Austin! It was me all along, Austin! This is Reliving the War with Simon Tackler and Nims Azor. You can call this the new world order of wrestling, brother! Welcome everyone to Reliving the War here on the Grey Wolf Wrestling Network. My name is Nims Azor, and if this is your first time listening, we dive back into the Monday Night Wars and look at the pay-per-views WCW and the then WWF. We've gone through an extensive back catalogue since King of the Ring 1996 for the WWF and for WCW. It was Bash at the Beach. It's been myself and my partner in crime, Simon Tackler. Simon, we're really... Getting into the real meat and nitty gritty of uh, the Monday Night Wars at the moment, aren't we? Yeah, we really are. These shows are getting wilder and wilder, and this one was the perfect example of just the wide variety of crazy things you could see on a WCW pay-per-view, and also how appropriate that we're covering Halloween Havoc when WWE have just announced that Halloween Havoc will be returning under the NXT banner. Back in 1996... After watching this show, you would never have dreamt that in the year 2020, WWE would run their own Halloween Havoc and WCW (laughs) just wouldn't exist anymore. It is so weird to look back on this show. Yeah, it really is. And as we do with every single WCW pay-per-view, we like to get in a third man. And who is the third man? And what side is he on? You might recognize this man. You might have heard him if you live in Sydney on Triple M. You might have heard him on the Top Rope podcast. And if you enjoy yourself some quality local professional wrestling, you might have seen him as the voice, or heard him actually, as the voice of PWA in Sydney. Please welcome to Reliving the War, the one and only Andrew Rose. Rose, it's good to have you on board, brother. Boys, you're both a sight for sore eyes. I've missed you so much during lockdown. It's good to see both of you. And uh, thank you so much for having me on the show. I was wondering how quickly you were going to do a third man reference because I was listening to last episode with Joel and he got in there early with a third man <laughs> reference. So you guys brought it up uh, real nice and quick, but I'm, uh, I'm honoured to be here, guys. It's exciting. Yeah, you've Man. got your facial hair. Obviously, people can't see. We're disappointed you didn't do the Hulk Hogan, you know, black with bleached mo. Yeah, I tried to find a wig. I hope that's not a spoiler. I tried to find a <laughs> mid-90s female pop star blonde short wig because uh, I used to do impersonations of uh, rock stars from the 90s all the time, but I couldn't find one. But, yeah, how do you, th- how do you think my beard's going in lockdown? I, I, it's getting pretty long, right? I'm getting kind of a homeless man look going on. You're looking like Seamus in hard times. Oh, man. I wish I looked like a tenth of Seamus. I'm like fat Seamus. That should be my gimmick. You've got a bit Sammy Zayn too, though, with the red beard and like a bit of... Your hair looks a bit long hanging out the hat too. That's a bit Oh, Sammy yeah. I've Zane. given up, boys. I've given up. This, uh, this lockdown. I haven't, done, I haven't done any self-care in six months. So, um, yeah. I, I, but I seem to pull off homeless chic quite well. I could, I could walk for derelicts only. So when we asked you to do the homework of watching a three-hour pay-per-view from 1996, that wasn't a big ask. 
No, God, no. This was great. You gave me something to do after uh, <laughs> watching Monday Night Raw. It was great. I was able to go back to back. And I tell you, what a difference. You go from the, the Thunderdome Monday Night Raw we're currently having uh, straight back to Halloween Havoc 96. Man, it's like alternate universes, dude. It's, it was quite the rush. Well, dude, let's get straight into it because let's start off with Halloween Havoc 1996. Well, the first thing I noticed, and I don't know if you've heard our previous episodes, Rose, but we've been slamming WCW's video packages and their intros. We compare it to a Year 12 media project, whoever's putting them together. But um, this time, and I don't know about you, Simon, but I was impressed with this video package. You they know put why in I'll- some effort. You know why I was impressed? Nothing to do with the video quality, the audio. Can you tell me if that song sounded familiar or not? Because it was doing my head in and I looked it up. Would you believe that music they used was a stock bit of music that WWE would use two years later as Marvelous Mark Merrow's theme song? (laughs) Get out of town. (laughs) Wow. Well, I I was going to bring this up at some point, but there was a theme of like, because you guys watch this on the network, I assume, as well, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. I assume there's clearly music they filled in. Like, all the entrances, a lot of them felt really weird. And I've got, I've got great notes about the tacked-on uh, entrance music that they have, like, replaced since copyrights have gone through. But, uh, yeah, I'll have to re-watch that intro because it did feel like, remember those demo CDs you get on the front of gaming magazines back yeah. in the early noughties? <laughs> And you'd be like, oh, sick, a new BMX game. And then you put it in and the intro video is so bad you never even just touch the game. It's like, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Except, except the only thing that was missing was this time around, there was nothing at the bottom of the screen saying, this does not reflect the final product. <laughs> <laughs> Which was always great. On the- <laughs> Please note, this pay-per-view is a beta. Uh, if you would like the full version. <laughs> well, look, we get straight into the uh, pay-per-view Dustin, Tony, and Bobby are there, so oh. much so that they don't even have their last names as they're sitting at the table. We, oh. We've been big, big fans here of the welcome to the pay-per-view, little greeting from those three. Rose, what did you think, especially since you watched Monday Night Raw, being greeted <laughs> by um, going from that, talk about a, a different palette. What did you think of the, your first impressions of the of, Going into Halloween Havoc, presented by Slim Jim. Yeah, well, this was my... I, I have notes here, boys. I, I took this very seriously, and I wrote notes as I watched wrestling. And my first question was, is this whole show just to sell Slim Jims? Um, <laughs> and my second question is, has anyone ever eaten a Slim Jim? Has any of you guys ever come near a Slim Jim, seen it in the wild? I have had a Slim Jim when I was in the States. I saw one at a convenience store, and I thought, I've got to try it. It tasted like the worst beef jerky you've ever had. That is all I can say. Not really the best review, but that's all I can say. So clearly the the macho man is just frivolous when it comes to his endorsements. <laughs> oh, well, we'll get to all of Macho Man's antics during this show, you know, giving away prizes and dressing like a Slim Jim, as I assumed he was in the main event. But I was very excited to see Dusty Rhodes, Bobby the Brain and Tony Schiavone all sitting there at the desk. I loved that about WCW, how they come, come straight to them and they talk. Um, Chris, my, uh, my co-commentator at PWA, pretty much adores Bobby the Brain. That's why he wears the loud jackets. It's a big ode to him. Um, and one thing I loved was how he called out Hogan in the intro. I don't even remember that, but I'd love when commentators, uh, JR was really good at this. Like he'd, he'd talk about food and then he'd say, Austin, tonight you're going to get your ass kicked. And he mm-hmm. did that to Hogan. I just, he fired me up immediately. 
Yeah, their hate for Hogan, even in the opening video package, how Eric Bischoff says, the worst thing I ever did in WCW was bring you here, Hogan. <laughs> he is such a mega bad guy in this era, and it's so cool to see. But we talk about how, how it was such a smorgasbord. It was essentially the buffet, the sizzler of, um, of pro wrestling back in the day. And we'll get straight into the cheesy garlic bread and kick it all off with Malenko versus Rey Mysterio Jr. Uh, Mysterio is the defending champion going in here. And I don't know about you, Simon, but we've talked about how the cruiserweight matches are always there and they're always flippy and they always start off slow, but then build up a crescendo. This was just bang, go from the get-go, wasn't it? This was a brilliant match. For my money, the best cruiserweight lineup in WCW's history is these two guys. And I know Ray and Eddie had the one match at Halloween Havoc, you know, a year later that is like the benchmark. But if you're talking consistency, Ray and Malenko, they had the one at the Great American Bash a few months before this. They had this one and they had a few on Nitro. They are all classics. I think they're the perfect contrast. Raise the high flyer. Malenko grounds him. And even though Malenko's only a little bit bigger than Ray, he gets to do all these power moves like his, you know, Brock Lesnar, basically. This was brilliant. Probably my favorite cruiserweight match we've seen in this series so far. I loved it. Rose, what did you think? Uh, and did you, was it a bit of a reminder just how much of a huge player in the cruiserweight division Dean Malenko was? Like, he was a big deal. Yeah, absolutely. I think it was... Um you know, saying going from Raw and seeing how Rey Mysterio is wrestling now, it was a shock to go back to him being so young. And, and he was even tinier back then. He was even small. He's quite jacked now for his size as an older age. And um, Dean Malenko is like captain consistency, man. Like, it, I, you never feel nervous. What, you know, like, I don't like it when a friend stands near a balcony that's really high. It makes me nervous. And I get the same feeling with wrestling sometimes when it's not going right. I don't want to enjoy it go wrong. I get I don't like that botchiness. And yeah. someone like Dean Malenko, he puts me at ease. And I'll say this, I immediately got hit with nostalgia. The, the first slam, the, the way they used to mic their mats in WCW, the first time he hits that mat, I just was like, oh, back to like being 16 again. It was, like, it was like vinyl. You know what I mean, boys? That's a nice yeah. underrated thing that we, we haven't discussed yet. Not only did WCW look different, but it definitely sounded different. Mm-hmm. That's an mm-hmm. interesting one. You're right. The ring sounded different too. And speaking of the ring, though, another great WCW thing that you know everyone's got different opinions on. Personally, I love the custom canvas. The Halloween Havoc canvas looked amazing with the Slim Jim ring post. Like, just visually, looks fun. And then, yeah, you've got the sound too. It's totally different to what we see yeah. now. And, and add another thing, they uh, something that you don't see in Western wrestling is more anymore is the cameraman. Did you see how many, like, yeah. there was one cameraman in a sick-ass, like, uh, leather vest, like the <laughs> coolest leather vest, like, taking photos ringside. And they were, like, camera side. Like, now they hide them. They want to hide all the media that's going on. But they were right there. It felt kind of new Japan. It felt really hype when Malenko and Ray were going. It was because you, you would see much like in like a boxing bout or something like that, like the guy would run up to the apron and take photos and things like that. So it really had, WCW really sort of had the sport feel of uh, pro wrestling down to a, to a pat. And, and the thing too, was like Tony Schiavone would always say, you know, 
in the history of our sport. This is the best night in our sport, da, da, da. But he always referred to it as this is an athletic exhibition. You're watching a real sport kind of thing. But going back to what you say about Dean Malenko and just being a safe guy, like uh, for those that might not know, like you, the cruiserweights were obviously out there. A lot of them were trying to make their names in the States. So you would get a lot of sloppy work. And as we saw previously, like there are some dangerous moves that they're doing just because they're trying to make a name for themselves. But I've even written down in my notes here, not too high flying, a sleeper hold from Malenko is exciting. Like mm. it, it just makes you go, wow. Like in a cruiserweight match, I'm getting excited over Dean Malenko putting Rey Mysterio in a sleeper hold. Mm. And also that uh, it was a different ref. We'll get into the refing over the whole show later on, but this match had really good refing. And he, uh, when, when he had uh, Ray in a, uh, I can't remember the submission, but he was putting his legs right into his lower back. And Ray's just, no, no, like really, the ref's right engaged right there. Like you said, it felt way more sporty than, say, mm. other sides of WCW. And I think that was a direct thing they wanted that opening match to be. Like, let's really start it off with something super competitive. Well, to add to that too, not only did they have the presentation of making it feel like sport, but of course, for this match, they brought in their expert commentator on the subject of cruiserweights, Mike Tanay. I've got to ask, maybe you've heard my opinion on Mike Tanay. What's your opinion? We're going to have to keep a tally going pro Tanay or or not. Um, I'll be honest. Yay or nay for Tanay, boys. Yay or nay Yeah. That'd be a good segment, yay or nay today. I'll be honest with you, when Mike today's name came up and he started talking, I went, oh, yeah, Mike today's a thing. I totally, I, I totally forgot. Uh, and then but you, the moment you hear his voice, you're taken right back there. But I, I, I mean, has anyone ever seen him do a hurricane runner? How, how, how cruiserweighty is he? Is he good? He seems he to know scissors? a lot. Right, he talks okay. like he's done it. Well, I can't even do a forward roll, so I, I am no expert on cruiserweight. <laughs> but I did really like the... Go on. I was going to say, my only note on Tanay from this show, why was his audio worse than everyone else? It sounded like he was outside, like they didn't <laughs> let him in this time. They were like, mm, you're out. But yeah, he well, sounded I'm- weird. I actually think you were right there because in this age of lockdown when we're doing so much remote broadcasting with tie lines, I actually now can – I know audio. Like, I can actually hear when someone is down at tie line and I'm like, is he dialing in? <laughs> like, I wish he was, like, out in the car park talking and they just cut to someone pretending to be him holding a mic talking. <laughs> that would be a really good idea. <laughs> but, like, we get, th- we get through the match and it's it's swings and roundabouts here, but Malenko is clearly the one on show here. He picks up the win. And did you think it was surprising considering the fact in- how incredibly popular Rey Mysterio is? And if I'm not mistaken, too, because obviously Malenko stole his mask, Malenko is the bad guy here. So to him, for him to come out on top was a bit of a statement, especially at a sort of a big WCW pay for you. What are your thoughts, Rose? Um, yeah, I, I, there's definitely, there's a couple underlying themes I've got for this show. Slim Jim being one of them, one of the rest doing being another one of them. And another one is who are the good guys and who are the bad guys here? Cause there's a lot of confusion I found in a lot of the matches. This one at that point, I guess I wasn't as confused as other ones on the show because Dean was doing so good in that match. And I, I, I f- it felt like once Ray got his mask back, that Darcy stuff had been finished in that part of the match. And they're like, all right, let's just go to see who wins now. And yep. I was really more surprised at how the reaction Dean Malenko got when he won. Everyone was like, 
pretty stoked that Dean Malenko won the belt. I was surprised. Yeah, Simon and I have brought this up in previous episodes. Dean Malenko is like the MVP of the Cruiserweight division, isn't he? Yeah, and the crowd really liked Dean Malenko for whatever reason. Like, it's hard to know. He didn't really act like a good guy. I think they just leaned into the whole Iceman thing. You know, he's got no feelings and he just gets in there and wins. And I think there was a huge segment of the WCW crowd who liked that he wasn't flashy. He didn't have a mask, you know. To them, even though he was very technical, I think to them it looked like Malenko was like, your uncle who's beating up these Mexicans. Well, that's wrong. But anyway, they cheered him <laughs> but that, no, But it's the WCW audience, so it probably was correct. But It's the 90s. It was exactly what it was. <laughs> yeah. The best part about that too is like, I don't know if you guys remember, but Bobby the Brain Heenan talking about like, you know, I saw Dean Malenko check into his hotel. He didn't want small talk. The guy said, do you want me to take your bags up? And I said, no, I'll take my own damn bags up. <laughs> that's the sort of guy Dean Malenko is. <laughs> to which it's just like, what does that even say about Dean Malenko? That just says that he likes to take his own bags off. Tells me he's yeah, got he's, some he's... sus things in his uh, in his bag. <laughs> Don't touch it. Yeah. Just, just tells me he's difficult to travel with. I mean, that's <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's horrible with small talk. I mean, come on, yeah. guys. Everyone hates small talk, but we all do it. But um, So that, that kicked us off with Halloween Havoc presented by Slim Jim. And then we went to our first backstage interview and... It was hosted by Lee Marshall, who I forgot existed, to be quite oh, honest. that's his name. I just wrote down Mustache Man. <laughs> yeah, because if it wasn't for the fact, I'm like, because when they threw to him, it was just like, and we'll go to Lee Marshall in the back. I'm like, Lee Marshall? Who's who Lee? Is, who oh, is Lee Marshall? Lee Marshall. Uh, on episodes of Nitro, because we're not covering Nitro on the show, I'll just give context for anyone who's only listening to our episodes and watching the pay-per-views. But they would cross to Lee Marshall on the road and he'd be in a different town and he would tell you where he is and he would make fun of Bobby Heenan. It was like a running segment. Um, Mm. He would also do like the hotline for them and like the radio and the internet interviews. But his biggest claim to fame, he was the voice of Tony the Tiger, the Frosty's mascot. (laughs) So, you know, they're great. That was Lee Marshall. Yeah. Okay. Is that all he did? Yeah, pretty much. all right, right. So, okay. Right, so, but, so that, the WCW didn't present him as the voice of Tony the Tiger. Let's cross live to Lee. Never. He, this they like never mentioned that. Wow. Uh, wow. Interesting. Well, there you go. He's trying to make a break. Mustache man. Although, Until you mentioned that, I'd, I was just like, where's Mean Gene first off? And secondly, you are not Mean Gene. <laughs> <laughs> so I did I some research. Because yep. I asked the same question. Where the hell is Gene? Because as we've mentioned, Mean Gene is an MVP of all of these WCW pay-per-views because they cross yep. backstage so often. He was out of contract at the time. He was renegotiating with the WWE, trying to get back there. They weren't interested, so he went crawling back to WCW a month later. So this is the only pay-per-view he missed. I thought maybe he was sick or something. Why would Mean Gene miss it? He was trying to get more cash. So he's anyway, he's back ball. next month. Yeah. <laughs> Scheme Gene. Old <laughs> Scheme Gene, I tell you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, so this Lee Marshall interview, it also leads us to a crazy Ric Flair promo because Jeff Jarrett uh, is there to take on the Giant for the United States Championship, but it's not actually a title match. In storyline, um, the Giant, and you could probably pick this up a little bit uh, since you've watched the Nitro, Simon, but so... Ric Flair has been injured by the Giant and had his US title stolen, correct? Mm. Yeah, he beat him up and just took the belt. 
And that so was it. Jeff Jarrett is there to uphold the honor of the horseman. Jeff Jarrett and the road dog left WWE. They just stormed out. And Jeff Jarrett was like, I'm going to get a better deal at WCW and get a big push. They aligned him with the horseman. He was an unofficial horseman. And you didn't know, were they going to turn on him? Was he going to turn on them? But they played it straight for ages that you were just meant to cheer Jeff Jarrett as like standing up for the horseman. I'm going to be honest. It's the mid nineties. Why would anyone cheer (laughs) mullet and strap shirt Jeff Jarrett? The fact that this wasn't a twist, like this wasn't some ironic thing like, oh, you hate him, but you like the horseman. They thought you were just going to sincerely like this Jeff Jarrett. Weird. Can I pose a question to that? Do you think uh, a lot of stuff that happened in this era uh, was the thinking would have been, okay, Jeff Jarrett has left WWF and WWF has gone, oh, no, don't leave. Um, And he's (laughs) gone to WCW and they've gone... The fans will cheer them because he's on there. He's on our team now. He is Team WCW, so they'll just be happy to see Jeff Jarrett on our show and not theirs if they're huge WCW. Do you think there was any of that behind them going, "Oh, you'll get cheered. It's fine." Look, if it was anyone, like, I mean, all the I, other ex WWE guys who like you know left in the that immediate time frame, they were all in the NWO. <laughs> Isn't it weird? But, Wouldn't they have put Double J in the NWO back then? But they didn't. Well, weren't they? Going to put him in the in the NWO, as in like they offered him, DBRC offered to come to the NWO, and he turned them down for the Horsemen really? to because, be his honourable Jeff Jarrett. It's weird yeah, because DBRC actually mentions in a promo later, "You should have joined us when I gave you the chance." But uh, look, we could. This has been the most anyone has ever debated Jeff Jarrett in known history. <laughs> 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 I'll, I'll say he was the front runner for real best hair of the night. Like yeah. <laughs> uh, 90s pop star female hair. It was just great. Uh, we are young. I just kept hitting like <laughs> in my head while he was talking. It was great. But yeah, look, so that was that was our first backstage segment. Sons, uh, Mean Gene Oakland. And it's good to see a bit of context why he wasn't there. It leads mm. us to our next match, which is Diamond Dallas Page versus Eddie Guerrero in a battle for the ring. So for those playing at home, DDP, what's with people stealing other people's stuff in <laughs> WCW? Uh, DDP has stolen Eddie Guerrero's battle bowl ring, uh, which in itself is a sentence that, with no context makes zero sense, but even with context makes even less sense. <laughs> so the one thing that I did notice is for us, at least Simon, DDP's had a pretty solid run of pay-per-view matches. He took on Chavo uh, last pay-per-view and he certainly stepped up since he took on Jim Duggan at Bash of the Beach. Yeah. He's having a good run here. It's all starting to come together. I thought this was the best we've seen so far. Like he does some innovative moves He's starting to get the taunting closer to what it should be. He's toning down some of the gimmicks. i got to say, the opening of the match was weird, though. DDP spitting on Eddie, and I just wrote down, why was there so much spitting in wrestling at this time? Like, that was <laughs> such a movie. You're just like, I'm just going to spit on you. It's so weird to see in the era of COVID, but that was one of DDP's big, big sort of shock moves back then, to just spit on you. It's gross. Rose, obviously, we we talked we talked at the start about the um, the lack of music and the weird edits. Knowing yeah. what DDP's actual entrance is and seeing the entrance, did that take you out of the moment, or was it just because he was 
the weird pre self high five DDP was just like, oh, I guess this is part and parcel. So that that music is replaced music, right? That he came out to. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I I I was waiting for the self high five deal, and when that didn't happen, I was like, okay, that just concer- that just confirms for me that they're probably replacing all the major music besides NWO and maybe Macho <laughs> Man and Flair, and that's about it. Um, so I was immediately confused at this match because. There was this, they had this weird, like, Halloween, like, logo that came over the screen while looking at the crowd. It said, Battle for the Ring, and then no commentary. And so I was yeah. like, uh, what's this? And then as they're walking to the ring, uh, uh, they were just they were kind of trying to give context to, like, you know, like you said, it was even more complicated when you explain it. So I think they gave up because they said, oh, it's, it's the ring that was stolen, da-da, but the ring's not here. So don't worry about it. So the ring's yeah. not even there. It's like DDP doesn't even, he said he can't find the ring. He doesn't know what he's done with the ring. So like, so why are they fighting for it? Yeah. Can we go home then? That, uh, it was a really weird thing, but it did. I, I really started to get into this match with uh, DDP was whipped into the guardrail and the fans popcorn just went everywhere. That was really great for me. <laughs> well, the commentators even bring it up. The fans popcorn is everywhere. <laughs> Yeah, delicious. It made me hungry. It was great. There were some weird moments on the outside. The other one I took note of as well, DDP kept saying to Eddie on the outside, get up, girlfriend. And then the commentators picked up on it too. And they're like, see, he's saying get up, girlfriend. DDP was just weird and full of just trying to get anything over it this time. He's like, cigar, I'll call you girlfriend. I'll spit on you. Just a mess. (laughs) It was incredibly, incredibly strange. And, the thing that made it even more of a juxtaposition for me was the fact that how bland Eddie Guerrero is because mm. it's not Latino. We know how charismatic Eddie can be, but he's the most bland. It, it's like his outfit is like create a wrestler too. His yeah. entrance, his music, everything is just like, Oh, hi guys. Just happy <laughs> to be here. Kind of thing. Yeah. Well, even his mullet my... is dry. Like he doesn't even have hair product in. It's just a dry mullet and a dry mo. It's yeah. not good. And if we know anything about professional wrestling, is everything looks better with wet hair. That's exactly a, yeah. a lot. But yeah, I, I agree with you because all my notes are about DDP. Like mm, yeah. we all know how good Eddie Guerrero is, but he didn't even stand out in this match that he was yeah. in. Yeah, yeah. Eddie pre-Latino heat or like pre-heel later in WCW is always strange to watch. We haven't seen any promos on the pay-per-views either, but the weird thing about Eddie in this era, for people who only know him from the WWE, Eddie's accent wasn't real that you heard later on. That was exaggerated. Mm. That was put on. Back in this era, he just spoke with his normal American accent, which makes it even more bland in hindsight. He's just like, yeah, I'm going to win that battle bowl ring. You know, yeah. there's nothing to it. It's strange. Is that real? Is that for real? Yeah, yeah that, he, he oh. legitimately talks like someone like, you know, like, you know, I'll have some non-dairy creamer <laughs> kind of thing. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Not like yeah, Cheech yeah. and Chong all the time. Yeah. It's yeah. For, for all of you listening at home, that's actually the most accurate Eddie Guerrero impersonation <laughs> anyone's ever done. <laughs> <laughs> but ah. yeah, so, so DDP gets the win. So... The win for a ring that doesn't exist. So could you imagine if, like, say, Lord of the Rings had this same premise that we couldn't find the ring, but we still go through the process of three hours of movie? That's what this felt like. And then then it turns out the ring was just there near the ring post the whole time because when he rings, the ref... When he wins, the ref goes, oh, here you go. Here's the ring. And he's like, oh, yeah. And holds, like, what are we doing here? 
I rewinded it twice, the ending, because I thought, did I just like stop paying attention for a sec? I thought, did I miss Nick Patrick giving DDP the ring and there was some cheat that I missed? What was going on with the ring? Why was it there? None of the ending made sense to me when he handed in the ring. Like I was trying to look for JFK assassination clues. Like there was some conspiracy. There wasn't. He just won with the diamond cutter. And then Nick Patrick, you're right, was just like, and here's the ring. It was weird. Yeah. It's an odd it's an odd match to watch, but when you take into account the what these two guys would do in their career, it's a weird blot on the resume. But oh, yeah. we, we we head backstage to Mike Tanay and Randy Savage. Now this is the part it's one of the most bizarre things you will see in a nineties pay per view. So it's Mike Tanay and Randy Savage drawing a prize winner. Now I don't know. Like, obviously, we all work in radio, and a lot of people that we get on this show work in radio. So we know what it's like to be at these draws for big competitions. And when I say big competitions, I don't mean, like, a Powerball jackpot. I mean, like, by the way, we've got you a cruise on the Spirit of Tasmania for a weekend. The prize here is a monster truck. And Randy Savage... (laughs) Randy Savage is going to draw the winner. And the part that I love the most about this is he says audibly to camera, because he's incredibly ad-libbing here, and he just goes, people don't pick, people I don't pick, don't be mad at me. Ooh, yeah. And it's like, <laughs> what? All the while, Mike Tanay is reading like terms and conditions oh, live on air. the best. <laughs> but what better way to make something really flow than just when he's about to put his hand to pull out the name, you stop him and read a liability statement. Just, mwah. Beautifully handled WCW. And like you said, Nims, we're all, let's all talk shop here, boys. We've all worked in radio before. So it's the same thing as when I was a DJ. If you're in a club and the guy does a bad mix, I can't function. Like it makes me stop and go, ah, that's wrong. You're doing that wrong and I can't enjoy myself. These moments make me want to pull my hair out, but it's easily one of the best parts of the whole show. It was amazing. It is so good because, because, first off, it's like no one's breathed for Andy. You're just like, oh yeah, and you you got to break this this the giant. Sl- oh yeah, I forgot to mention, he has to pull the winner's name out of a giant Slim Jim packet. Of and, course, and it's got at Simon, it's got like the you know like the the pre-cut sort of thing to make the it crinkle. look like he's yeah the crinkle sort of thing, the corrugated <laughs> sort of look. It's so. It's so poor, but, but so great at the same time. It was great. And Randy was so proud of himself. When he did it, he went, I did it. I snapped into it. Like, because he actually did struggle for a moment before mm. he got it open. And then he yes. gave himself a drum roll. Like, that sounds like a comedy bit. Randy Savage doing his own drum roll. Like, it was just. And then, because Randy Savage is the best, he pulled the name out, read it out and then ask the woman if she would take him on a date and a ride in the monster truck. And then, of course, Mike Tanay being like the, you know, just ruins the moment, the wet blanket that he is. When Macho Man read her name, Mike Tanay had to jump in and pronounce it differently, like pr- mm. correct Randy yeah. Savage. Yeah, uh, Randy, correct it's actually... It. Joan Michalik from Michigan is her name. (laughs) He should have just slapped him with that giant Slim Jim right there. (laughs) It's it's so good, the fact that Joan Michalik from Michigan 
wins a giant yellow and red monster truck with Randy Savage's cowboy hat. Like, you're going to put that in the garage? Is that going to be in the driveway? Like... Yeah, I like when to you say that though, any, like it's not a monster truck where the cabin is shaped like a hat. Imagine a full size monster truck and then a giant hat on top of it. It's insane. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I I like to think Joan Machalik from Michigan lives in a nice little suburban suburb. You know, front lawn, a bit of a like driveway. a duplex. Yeah, yeah. And now half her front lawn and her driveway is taken up by the widest vehicle known to man. Uh, it is such a bad idea to give away a monster truck. Like, I, I, I hope Joan at least once took it for a spin. Like, at least once took it for a drive before she sold it on eBay. So <laughs> well, I hope she took Randy on a date in that truck. I feel like he's the one guy who would stick to his word there. Other celebrities would be like, no, I was just making a joke. I feel like Randy Savage would rock up at your door if you replied to him, you know. He looked ready to go there. He looked ready like a word. (laughs) (laughs) Would you question my integrity? (laughs) You completely reminded me there, Rose, of the fact that he... No, no, Simon, he did his own drum roll. Like, because I think... Mike Tanay say, doesn't Mike Tanay go like, you know, do we have a drum roll? It's like, we don't have a drum roll. <laughs> oh, that was the most terrifying drum roll I've ever heard. <laughs> he yeah, should have he done it with it. two Slim Jim sticks. Missed opportunity oh, there. That's, that's a missed opportunity. They needed half you, <laughs> But it was, it's, it's so bad, it's good. And it's not bad as in it's offensive or anything like that. Like you go, why did I just watch that? Watch mm. it. If you're going to skip mm. anything in this pay-per-view, do not skip this. You've uh, got to watch this. Can I just add, before you move on from this, uh, after the whole hoo-ha with Macho Man, Mike today looks straight down the camera and says the words, for the first time ever, wrestling can- fans can listen to Halloween Havoc on the internet. What a great yep. line. <laughs> oh, we, we weren't going to skip over that one, Rose, because it oh, mentioned sorry. two things, two things that I had to bring up because I wrote this down. It says, you can stream it now with real audio, which... Re- <laughs> Which, for for people of our vintage, like anyone that was you know born in the two thousands or the nineties, would be like real audio. What is this real? Well, that was a format, okay. And the best part about the real audio stream that they showed on the screen was that the browser was Netscape Navigator. Good. How good is that? <laughs> they are things that do not exist anymore. They're in the uh, annals of time now. How weird, though. The fir- this, this was the first ever simulcast of a wrestling show on the internet, but you could only Ooh. hear it. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, crazy how far we've come. Did Absolutely. anyone ever do that? The only thing I remember doing is if you had Foxtel or Optus Vision, you could go to the pay-per-view channel if you didn't pay for it and just listen to the audio. So why would I go on my crappy 90s internet <laughs> when I could have just stolen it from Foxtel? 100%. <laughs> I had a mate, um, Carlin, who grew up uh, not in a poor family. He had never had the money to order pay-per-views, so he watched years of WWE just on the Fuzzy Channel listening. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. Did he yeah, imagine wrestlers looking different than they looked? That would be great if like, his <laughs> oh. image of Kane was in a green suit or something, you know? <laughs> oh, that's what Ric Flair looks like? Oh, boy. Uh, yeah. the, weird, the weird talky pitches. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Gather around, folks. We're listening to the pay-per-view. <laughs> uh, boy, those wrestlers are having a good time. Look at him go. <laughs> 
on that, on that, because uh, they always did their little plugs with CompuServe there, and this time around it was Chris Jericho that was there, looking very uncomfortable being at that computer talking CompuServe. But what's even more ridiculous is that here we are in 2020, and Chris Jericho is calling himself the demo god on Twitter. Like this is like Chris Jericho is still wrestling, and two, the internet is a huge part of why he's still so popular. It's crazy, isn't it? Mm, mm. Uh, I liked uh, his uh, cliched '90s nerd. He had typing his typing his um, <laughs> uh, messages for him. I, I imagine he started every sentence with "All right, nerd, let him know this," and then he was like, yeah. "Quote." It seemed it seemed really awkward. At some point in time, the word "dweeb" was probably an. <laughs> <as well. laughs> What do you think it's happened like, to all those wrestling computer nerds, though? They probably thought <coughs> they were in a job forever. They're like, yeah, man, I write chats for wrestlers in WCW. Now they don't need them. They've cut all those guys out. Yeah. yeah. There's, or, you know, they're doing indie shows in 2001. It's like, oh, I was the Poindexter from, from <laughs> Slamboree 98, remember? I chatted for all- Sonny and the Body Donners. <laughs> You know? <laughs> Her words flowed through me as I typed them into the <laughs> yeah. chat. Yeah, I think they've all started wrestling podcasts. I think that's probably it. Yeah. Before, we put a, before we put a bow on this one and move on to our next segment, I've got to mention, Simon, you might know this one. Was WCW with CompuServe and was WWF's chat with AOL? Yeah, 100% WWF on AOL. When I was a kid, I had no idea what that meant, but I knew WWF was with AOL. Ironic Ooh. considering the fact that it's AOL that essentially killed WCW. Oh, oh yeah. Blown. Oh there we God. go. <laughs> Just like watching Tenet. I don't know what's going on. AOL was the inside man for the WWE. Like they took yeah. over for them. There you go. It was AOL. AOL all along. <laughs> it was AOL and Vince Russo sent to bring down WCW from the inside. I knew it. I knew it all along. <laughs> All right, we turn to another backstage segment here. Dean Malenko cuts his first promo as a cruiserweight champion. And the best thing I love about this promo is he's like, yeah, I'm open for a rematch. I'm more than happy to have a rematch with Rey Mysterio. It's just like, aren't you a bad guy? Like, <laughs> he's just so fair. It's just like, that's that's a fighting champion. Well done there, Malenko. But what do you think with uh, Dean Malenko, Simon, with, um, with his brand new cruiserweight strap? I just said Tanay and Malenko promo, they look related. And I've never thought that before <laughs> until I saw them next to each other. Now I know why Tanay loves these technical cruiserweight matches because he's a secret Malenko. Like they've got that same 90s receding, you know, haircut. And mm, yeah, mm. I don't know. That's the only they, note I had. Yeah. They look like a before and after picture, really, <laughs> yeah. um, for a weight, weight loss program. But, um, yeah, I, it felt like Dean Malenko was not expecting that question about Ray because he'd kind of given his, hey, I'll take on all comers, I'm the man now, I've got this strap and you're going to take it off me if you want a ticket of me. And then he went, what about Ray? Will he get a rematch? And he was like, uh, uh, sure, uh, anyone. Probably. Yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. I mean, yeah, I'll take on anyone. I just said it. I mean, he, he dumb. I just said that to you. Like, it, it seemed like he didn't know how to <laughs> yeah, it was one of the weirdest. It was one of the weirdest things because I was just like, okay, like he literally mm-hmm. just had, you're normally meant to say, like, no, no, this belt is mine, but hey, he's a fighting champion. Um, mm-hmm. th- we get on to our next match, which I've put down uh, as Battle of the Meh. It's <laughs> Jeff Jarrett versus the Giant. And the commentators are quick to point out this is not a title match. Absolutely not a title match. And 
Rose, I don't know about you, but my first note is Jarrett is outgunned here. <laughs> yeah, there, there's. Can someone tell me? Because you guys are across what's. You know, I kind of went into this raw. I didn't even look at the lineup of who was fighting. I just wanted to just experience it as it was, as a time capsule. But Giant is everywhere on this pay per view. There's talk about Giant all over the place. Is he. Was he. Like new at this time? Was he a fresh thing? Why is there so much giant weaving through everything? Does anyone know? Is Can't he still answer that? No, but no, is he no, still yeah. billed as Andre the Giant's son at this point? No, they gave up on that earlier. Okay, right. Yeah, I think it's just because he's the giant, which is said every twenty minutes. It mm. seems, he's but big. so he's the big. giant um, has. Ric Flair's US title and Ric Flair comes out and the best part about this match for me is Ric Flair smack talking the giant because Ric Flair smack talking anyone is fantastic and him doing it to a very young Paul White is just the icing on the cake and Simon I don't know about you but it's a very as I said it's a battle of the mare Ric Flair is the highlight here (laughs) well what was weird about this match again going back to double J why would I want to cheer Double J in any match in this era? But trying to make him the underdog against the Giant, nobody was buying it. If anything, people wanted to see the Giant just choke slam this, you know, idiot who we've hated for so long. They didn't give us a reason to cheer Double J, and I think that's why they sent Flair out there. And even with um, Giant's pre-match promo with DiBiase from the stands, nobody was really booing him either, you know? And also, on that note, the only thing I said is that the Giant was very well manicured on this pay-per-view. He had his stubble <laughs> done perfect. He had his eyebrows done. His hair was feathered. He looked like he was George Michael from Wham. That's the only note I had, and that's all that entertained me in this match. I was like, damn, he looks like Giant George Michael. But anyway. Can you imagine if George Michael was the Giant's size? I mean, he'd be unstoppable. He'd be prime minister of every country. He just, he'd run the world. I mean, it, have great music. It would just be a colossal, like the world would change. That's, that's how much of a big, that's, that's, the, that's the question, the million dollar question. What would the world be like if George Michael was the size of Paul White? <laughs> I'd be willing to find out. I'll tell you what, boys, I have faith. But I'll say this about, um, <laughs> excuse me, I'll say myself out. Uh, that I did like the NWO entrances from underneath a banner in the yeah. crowd. Hmm. Yeah, they didn't. Get, they didn't even get a little nameplatey thing at the bottom too. It was just here we come, we come marching through the crowd, which makes sense if they're a rival organisation that they mm. wouldn't wouldn't want to um, come out there. Uh, now this match ends with the most blatant low blow <laughs> on the planet. Yeah. <laughs> to which then brings out the most budget horseman you will ever see. Like who? Who, who was it? Who can you can it's, we it's, figure out who the horseman was at this point? It was like Mongo. It's, it's, so you've got Mongo there. Jeff Jarrett is also standing there as well. Arn and, um, and Rick, obviously. Oh, and Benoit, yeah. And, and it's Benoit. just like, oh, this is, it's, this is the weird... No, don't worry about the horseman. We have the plenty of the horsemen at home. That's what this is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, uh, this, is the, <laughs> this is the part of the show where I started to get really confused. Because like you said, Simon, all right, let's think about this. The giant is the baddie. He's got a belt that isn't his. He's stolen it from someone else. He's part of this new evil conglomerate that's going on. Here comes good guy, Jarrett, and he's going to stop the big guy with his great wrestling ability. And then he's getting beat up all over the ring. And then 
Ric Flair, who everyone loves, who's from the horseman that everyone loves, comes out and low blows the bad guy to get the good guy disqualified and then expects to be the one that's cheered for that. It just, I was just like, what is going on? Who are the baddies here? Yeah, this was a total mess. Why would I want to cheer the horseman over the giant in this situation, especially this third-rate, low-budget horseman? And I don't care. I think people are too kind, obviously not to the human being, but to the career of Chris Benoit in this era because he hasn't really been very good in any pay-per-view we've seen. When you see no. him in a non-wrestling situation like here, trying to be like a cool gang member, he really was sort of as boring as, you know, yeah. the, the perception was at the time, the vanilla midget. Vanilla, yeah, vanilla midget. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, it was a, it's a strange one, but that leads us to another DiBiase interview, Six, um, who is a fine young athlete, which is the one that, wow. <laughs> that, that's always... No, no, sorry. They mention... They put over Chris Jericho as a fine young athlete. That's Six constantly mentions, like, I respect you, Chris. It's just like, you're meant to be a dastardly heel. Like, you're meant to be bad. Like... Stop talking about how, like, Chris Jericho is the next big thing. Like, he is. Like, like don't get me wrong. Like, hindsight has shown that he is definitely great. But it's so weird how they pump up Chris Jericho. Like, it, like this is ESPN going through college picks for the NBA draft. <laughs> yeah, I love so Sean good. Waltman. I love X-Pac, Six-Pack, One, Two, Three Kid, whatever you want to call him. But talking was never his strong suit. He seems like such a nice guy. But on the mic... He was always uncomfortable, and this was a great, um, you know, example of that because you're right. DiBiase mentioned Jericho, you're a fine young athlete, and then he was like, Six, tell him what you think of him. And he's like, uh, He's a fine young athlete, and he just repeated <laughs> yeah. what DiBiase said. Like, he might have as well just went, Ha ha ha, everybody's got a price for Six Park. Like, it wasn't good. <laughs> yeah, with Six, with six Talks. Um, he reminds me of one of those like high school college jocks that's way too excited to get drunk with his mates. Like, yeah, yeah, come on, this is gonna be great. And like, he just keeps telling you how drunk he is. Like, oh, guys, I'm so drunk. This is great. Football rules. Like, he's just yeah. always so <laughs> jacked to go. And I would just—he's too much. I wouldn't be able to deal with that. Also, take my word for it. Watch this promo and watch any Sean Waltman promo. He will say the word "pal." "Pal" is his crutch word. Well, I'm going to kick your ass, pal. Hey, pal, you can stick it, brother, pal. Like, he loves it. Mm. I don't know why. Mm. It's his that's, gonna, that's like the Slim Jim of, uh, of, uh, <laughs> of six. But uh, this is another weird one, too, that I, I've made note of. White meat babyface Chris Jericho is the blandest of bland. He is just like, there's no character. There is nothing. There's no flavor. It's just weird. In fact, the, the biggest takeaway that I got from this is that uh, the Dungeon of Doom is in the front row, but it looks like Conan has just shouted Bill Bailey from Black Books uh, front row tickets <laughs> to go see Halloween Havoc. Yeah, Kevin Sullivan in street clothes is weird. <laughs> he looks like just a guy, and you're right, Bill Bailey is who he looks like. I did I did like in that moment when they cut to Sullivan and Conan's there, you know, rolled up, like actually looking at the camera and focusing... And you can see uh, Big Boss Man or whatever they call him at this time. Big Bubba. Um, Big Bubba, excuse me. Big Bubba is, is, is sitting behind Conan. And towards the end of it, he leans forward kind of to be shielded by Conan and says something to Kevin Sullivan that makes Kevin Sullivan 
stop focusing at the camera and laugh and look at, <laughs> at and look at Big. Did you see that? I can't even begin to imagine how vulgar whatever came out of Big Bubba's mouth at that moment to try and make Sullivan crack on live television, but it works. It's so bizarre too because because they're you're right. They they've got front row seats, but it's kind of like I don't know if you've got to get tickets to a concert or a comedy show and it's like well you need three people it's like look we can have two but we can have you behind us <laughs> is that all right or you're gonna to have to sit elsewhere it's like no no, no try and yeah. bunch them up <laughs> it's like checking in late to your flight you know this is all we got left you either get yeah. on or not <laughs> <laughs> but um turning our attention to the match it's actually a pretty damn good match forget how good cruiserweight jericho is and even how pre-injury six is actually really good. This is like one, two, three kid sort of levels of high flying from six. And Simon, you're the Waltman aficionado here. What did you think of this match? I love this this match. I forgot that they would have wrestled in this era because to me, when I think of them wrestling, it's the year 2000 in WWF. And I like those matches. They're underrated. This was really good too. And we hear the stories that Sean Waltman is the measuring stick when a new talent comes in. Uh, you might've heard Chris Jericho tell the story that in WWF, he had to wrestle uh, X Pac to sort of get you know the nod of approval, but they already had good chemistry back from here, so you know that might have made things easy for Jericho. So who knows if it wasn't for this match, Jericho might not have got the nod of approval a few years later because these guys killed it together. I really liked it, and honestly, Sean Waltman gets a bad rap. This whole like X Pac hate thing that like followed him for years is so unfair. He's as good as anyone back mm. here in you know the mid nineties. What about you, Rose? Uh, yeah, I uh, I will agree with you that uh, Sean Waltman overall in his career, career probably copped a lot of heat because of his personality and his promos maybe kind of bled over to the fact that people would ignore that he is a fantastic wrestler. He is mm. extremely gifted. And if you can spend a good chunk of your career partying as hard as he does and <laughs> wrestling that good, you're pretty gifted. Like, yeah. you wouldn't last long doing that. So... Um, even though he was injury prone, I think that's a lot to do with his like, yeah, grip it and rip it attitude <laughs> yeah. that he has to everything. <laughs> is that um, I, I think he's a, a real talent. I could you could almost say he was the Dolph Ziggler of WCW back then. He was someone that if you're coming good through, and you, yeah. yeah, a good hand, someone mm. you, you want to fight early, and if you can if you can go with someone like Ziggler, you, you'll probably do all right in the in the cycle. And Six was probably a good example of that back then. Yep, six wins this match with some Nick Patrick shenanigans. Uh, we're going to highlight Nick Patrick in because he's a very much a weave throughout the tapestry that is Halloween Havoc 96 presented by Slim Jim. But, uh, <laughs> it should next... be a Slim Jim 96 presented by Halloween Havoc. <laughs> <laughs> but as we move on to our next match, this is Arn Anderson versus Lex Luger. We've mentioned this numerous times on our uh, WCW podcast that Lex Luger is just incredibly over for some reason. And Arn Anderson is Arn Anderson. He's just a WCW god. But what I loved about this match is it actually carries over from War Games where Lex Luger is he's all, he's, he's all up in arms because Arn's blaming him for the loss and they left Lex for dead after he was all, Stinger, Stinger, kind of thing. Oh. And, and the first thing I've, I've noted is Lex Luger is so fired up when he comes out in this match. He does the most aggressive high fives to the crowd. It's like, grr, grr, take that. 
Which is a big change because as we've noted, Lex Luger always looks like the last thing he wants to do is give high fives. But you're right here. He was like, oh, I'm angry. Touch my hand. Um, I'm sorry. We can't get into this match without talking about Luger's pre-match promo because Jesus Christ, there's a lot. His hair is out of control. He's got it like <laughs> poofed out because he's angry. This isn't the tied up, neat Lex Luger. His hair's in like almost like an afro. He's been electrocuted. But this promo, Lex Luger says the craziest line, and I've written it here. Hopefully I can do it justice. He says, the seeds are planted, but it's not a crop of flowers. It's cactus, and it's a thicket of things you've never seen. Jesus Christ. Who knew he had the word thicket in his vocabulary? And who's ever heard someone follow up the cliche of seeds are planted with a further gardening analogy? Like, this was insane. I loved it. Yeah, he, he's, he's, he sat with a notebook on one of those flights to the next city and, and written that and gone, yeah. This yeah, is, this is good. good. I want I'm that on a T-shirt. Lex Luger, a thicket of things you've never seen. Like, See, no, he probably does that. He's probably on the flight with Sting normally because Sting's out of action. He's like, well, I'm sure this is fine. Yeah, I'll run with it. I'll run with it for the pay yeah. But And Sting's had enough. He just nods along to everything. He's like, yeah, you're yeah. running that. It's great, man. Yeah, yeah. You should totally <laughs> say that in the next promo. I, I just have a quick note about this promo as well. Anyone who's... Uh, going to watch this uh, Halloween Havoc again. When you watch this promo, sit back and put your hand up between your face and the TV and cover everything of Lex Luger's face from the nose down so you can just see his eyes. That man is terrified. <laughs> he, he has fear in his eyes. I think that was a big thing for Lex Luger is that he, the weight of him to succeed and, and continue on from people like Hogan and stuff terrified him and that's why he's breaking people's arms in his high fives because he just wants it so bad to work and when he's talking this aggression his eyes are terrified of what he's saying at the same time because he's terrified he's going to get it wrong i think it's actually quite a very stiff match too because like they go back and forth a fair bit and they just they just dish it out to each other (laughs) yeah Yes, yeah, this they, was good. Really These did. guys have pretty good chemistry in that sort of 80s, 90s, big man, not going to do a lot of moves way. Like, they're not doing a lot, but it's entertaining for whatever reason. Um, also, the most outdated reference ever. It's a 90s show that we're watching, and Bobby Heenan says Lex Luger's hair reminds him of Phyllis Diller. I just thought, <laughs> this is a thing that someone 20 years and under would have no idea what any of that meant. It's great. I can't wait in 40 years when someone does a podcast reviewing old PWA shows and they make fun of how outdated quiz references are even in 2020. <laughs> I just can't wait. If, if either old. of you guys can top a Phyllis Diller reference in 2020, I'd be very proud of you guys. Oh, Chris is so old, I'm sure he dated Phyllis Diller at some point. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure, like, trust me, for the next commentary, he's probably got punky Brewster jokes written down. <laughs> <laughs> Well, actually, speaking of age, I'm sorry, we talk about age a lot on these shows because it blew our minds that the nasty boys in this era were only in their early 30s. Lex Luger and Arn Anderson, what what do you think the age difference is between them? Because, you know, Arn was an established horseman, then Luger came into WCW. Looking at them here in 96, what would you think the age difference is? Uh, between, well, Arn's obviously older, right? But by how much? I'd say it's less than I think. I think Lex Luger's older than I would assume here. So I'm going to say less than 10 years, like eight years difference. Nims? 
See, this is where it gets difficult because Arn Anderson, I assume from the day he was born, looked like that. <laughs> <laughs> he was born old. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, oh, I don't know. I'd say... Cut this thing off me. Let's get going. <laughs> <laughs> he just spine busters the duck. Yeah, thanks very much. Spine buster. I'm out of here. Um, I'm going to say something ridiculous like two years. Bang on. Lex Luger is somehow oh. only two years younger than Arn Anderson. Wow. wow. Nice job, Nims. That's that's because I knew it would either be something like ridiculous, like, oh, yeah, he's older by three months. Yeah, or yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So Lex Luger wins the match and he keeps the torture rack on. Essentially, the way that the commentary is, is salient, it's crippling Arn Anderson. So much to the point that Ric Flair and Jeff Jarrett, the budget horsemen, run out to save him. And th- this was the part, we talk about the cameraman and stuff like that. Did you guys happen to notice the cameraman that just climbs up on the apron and gets a shot, but they don't cut to that cut? <laughs> I didn't like, he's, he's just in the shot. And you're like, mate, is there a director there going, could you get, get that guy out of the shot? Well, it, it's, it's clearly something that they do direct because when you when they cut to the hard cam and the cameraman's on the apron, they don't show him. They just show the left-hand side of the ring. So they're clearly... I don't know if that's just the hard cam guy going, there's a guy on the apron, I'm going to move the camera a bit because this is dumb. Yeah. Or they planned it, he's got enough to take the shot, and the, the video guy's gone, no, nah, it's a bad shot, I don't need it, and just didn't yeah. use it. But that seemed to be a theme in WCW back then. Set up a lot of stuff and maybe we'll use them. <laughs> How wild yeah. did the crowd go, though, right at the end for Luger's chicken dance and torture rack? We've mentioned it. No move was more over in WCW than that goddamn torture rack. It's still to this day, I, I don't know. And here's the thing, too. There's been no best of Lex Luger DVD put out where he can go and say it, so explain the phenomenon. We so. need it. Just a six-hour compilation of him just racking people. That's all we want to say. <laughs> <laughs> to his music. It's just like a it's like a film clip, a 40-minute film clip of just rack <laughs> montages. He had pretty cool music. I'd watch it. Let's do it. Yeah, yeah it's called Rack City. And it's just... <laughs> rack City, the Lex Luger. Luger story. That's the Lex Luger story. <laughs> and then, so and then, like six months later, they can put out a special edition and call it the Total Package. Yeah. Oh, oh god, yes. dude, we're gonna make so much money. <laughs> so then we get to another Lee Marshall uh, little spot where he does a plug for the WCW hotline, uh, asking about the whereabouts of Sting. Spoiler uh, alert. Excuse me, Nims. His mm. name is Mustache Man. Can Mustache Man. Right? Sorry, the yeah. voice of the voice of Tony the Tiger, is it? <laughs> yeah. That's right. <laughs> so he does his little thing. Then we see a Harlem Heat interview. Harlem Heat interviews always seem like Stevie Ray uh, discussed something with Booker beforehand. Then Booker's gone on a tangent, and Stevie Ray's like, "Hang on, what did he say?" I got oh right, I, now it's my turn to talk. But um, it's so weird with with the Colonel and Sherry there when you're so used to and and the the, the weird old school Harlem Heat outfits as well. It's just I don't know. It's a bizarre promo. Mm. Can can you guys tell me, uh, as being around this time, are Harlem Heat good guys or bad? I can't believe how many times I've asked this to show. Are they good guys or bad guys? They were, in fact, bad guys in this era. Okay. No, but okay. they're good guys, though, because they're going up against the NWO. Yeah, I Thank guess. Thank you. <laughs> but they've got the Colonel and Sherry with them, so you're meant to boo them. It's so confusing. Yeah. The but NWO yeah. just threw heels and faces out the window until WCW could figure out where everyone should be. 
Mm. So there, they go and take on um, the Outsiders later on in the match. But then that leads us to our next match. And this is a very good point that you brought up earlier, Simon. Benoit really does nothing around this era because it's the Faces of Fear, Meng and Barbarian, versus Benoit and Mongo, with Deborah and, as Dusty Rhodes constantly like to say, the devilish woman. The devilish <laughs> woman. Now, it's a weird match because Mongo really... They always make reference that he's a football player. He knows that move because he played football. Look at him use his football skills. And you're just like, all right, man, we get it. He, <laughs> he, he played football. It's yeah. just like, it's like you don't have to do better than that because he's played football. It's like, oh, <laughs> dude, just it's, relax. It's like so, uh, every time Damian Cook scores a try in the NRL, some commentator has to mention that he's a former beach running champion. Like Every time. <laughs> it's annoying. But, but, like, the best part is to combat his whole, he's a football player, Meng does some weird sumo thing. I thought the sumo oh, face-off yeah. was weird at one point. Yeah, what was with that? I don't know. Like, at no point, first off, Meng is Samoan. So, well, he's <laughs> that doesn't even make sense. Tongan. Yeah. I have a thought. Oh, Do you think it's a reference to Yokozuna? Ooh. Look, at this point in time, all I've gathered from this match is that Mongo Mike McMichael was a football player and woman is a devilish woman. That's all that has been made clear to us Actually, here. you know what? Sumo is a form of martial arts and there's a promo from 95 Bash at the Beach where Sting makes reference to Meng knowing seven types of karate. Maybe Sumo was one of those seven types of karate <laughs> and this was a callback. You know, they're just following what they've built for years. We didn't follow the story long enough. Yeah, it's it's an odd one. It's very, very odd one. Although one thing that was pretty cool was um, I, I thought that Mongo really dro- like drags this match down. But the Faces of Fear, pretty decent dresslers here. This wasn't too bad mm. at all. I mean, especially when they're doing the high-flying stuff. I was bloody impressed, Rose. What about you? Yeah, I was, uh, like I said, I didn't know the matchups going in. So when Faces of Fear walked out, firstly... Awesome gear, had the great shoulder pads with the black pads and everything. Jimmy Hart looking incredible in those. Ja- Are they sprayed those jackets? Yeah. They must they're be. Like, they must be sprayed, right? They're kind of like RVD singlets, but in suit form. Yeah, and the tie goes with the jacket. Chris has got to find himself a spray guy because they <laughs> they just look amazing. Uh, and I got really excited to see them, and I, I thought. I get a little bit emotional when I see faces of fear these days. I guess you know. Um, the generational stuff and everything that's going on in WWE right now with family and Samoan thing, it's, mm. they'd be so happy to see how it's going now. And, um, yeah, I, I love Faces of Fear. I think I forgot about them until I saw this match. I mean, yeah, yeah. I need to watch more Faces of Fear. What do you reckon, Simon? Yeah, I, I like seeing the Faces of Fear. I think they're sort of a forgotten team from the era. Uh, watch their matches with Harlem Heat, the Legion of Doom, the Steiner Brothers, like, man, Meng and Barbarian, even in this era, I know they had their runs in WWF, you know, in the late 80s as well, but these guys were still really good in the mm. mid-90s. And, of course, Meng would still go on to have his singles run uh, a few years later with that Tongan death grip that, you know, we would all do as kids to each other. Um, but, yeah, no, this was pretty fun. Although, one bit of commentary that was really interesting because I had no idea, Mongo's Halliburton briefcase... I never knew what was in there because maybe I missed it as a kid. They mentioned what was inside was his payoff for joining the horsemen. 
So at the oh, very least, we got that uh, from there. Yeah, because they keep thought, constantly mentioning the bloody Halibut and the Halibut and the Halibut. And it, that's yeah. how they win the match. Mongo uses the briefcase. And um, yeah, then it leads to a brawl outside and a Dungeon of Doom beatdown, which yeah. is just bizarre because it looks like, it does look like Bossman forgot his gear. Conan is just Conan. <laughs> Conan just... You could put Conan at a wedding wearing that stuff and be like, yeah, that's just Conan. And Kevin <laughs> yeah. Sullivan, as you said, wearing street clothes? Wrong. Kevin Sullivan was dressed like he was going to a wedding. He was in a cream suit. It was weird. For a group that started as like these satanic weirdos, you've got, yeah, the guy doing a speech at a wedding. You've got the Mexican gangster and you've got the homeless ex-cop. Like, <laughs> Yeah, it was... It was... Bizarre, bizarre stuff there. But that leads us to another Dibiase promo. This is to introduce the Outsiders versus Harlem Heat. And I tell you, before they even lock up, the crowd is just hot. Like, Harlem Heat, as you mentioned, Simon, like, they're bad guys, but they at least have... Like, they always get a reaction. Not sure whether it's because of their... the racial overtones of the South, but... Mm. You know, that, that always plays a simmering um, sure. part in, in these uh, matches. But, yeah, I'll tell you, seeing Booker T and Scott Hall, we talked, Rose, you went and mentioned earlier how X-Pac, despite all of his demons, managed to be a phenomenal wrestler. Scott Hall is definitely, like, the best wrestler. If he could just get his life together, he'd be an all-timer. He, he's the Keith Richards of wrestling. It's a miracle he's still with us. And uh, it's, an ama- it's an amazing feat to be able to, do so many iconic hit uh, performances under the probably mountains of drugs he was probably swimming through and a lot of that, his career. It's, you've got to respect the gumption to survive yeah. through that and, and do it all. And he was, he was someone I'd loved when I was a kid. And, I, and in fact, before I even knew what, knew what drugs were, I loved him. Mm. So he, he was able to connect with people regardless of that attitude. But, yeah, he, 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 he's, a, he's a fighter. <laughs> it's amazing yeah. that he's still around, and uh, like you said, the whole pay per view hit another level when the outsiders came out. The whole pay per view just went, "All right, now we're getting to the real stuff." Get yeah, Booker T and Hall going at it too, because you forget how good Booker T is as well. Too, like we we all know how good Booker T is, but you didn't realize, like, wow, he was this good all the time. Like we mentioned before how Eddie Guerrero had to sort of get into his groove, whereas Booker just sort of seems to do it quite well. But did you notice too with this too, Simon, when Kevin Nash gets tagged in, he does the Kevin Nash formula, which is just the usual array of moves and force them into the corner. Yep. It's classic Diesel, but that's what the crowd wanted. There was the Diesel and Razor Chance at the start. You're just getting the best of, you know, Scott Hall doing his technical wrestling. Tags in Kevin Nash, and what do you get? You get classic Kevin Nash. He's going to push you in the corner. He's going to aim. He's going to elbow you. But the crowd loved it. This is one of my favorite WCW matches of all time, and we've got to talk about it. Before Kevin Nash gets tagged in, the greatest spit spot in the history of wrestling. Scott Hall spits at Stevie Ray and Stevie Ray's face just looks like I am going to kill you. How dare you spit on me? And it doesn't even feel like it's part of the story. It feels real. And then Scott Hall just tags in Nash like, all right, I'm going to let the big guy take care of it. And then Stevie Ray gets revenge later. He spits back. It's amazing. And you can actually go on the internet and find them doing like shoot interviews and explaining it like it was that such a big deal. 
um, you look at it and you think it was sort of a real life thing that they ad lib, but Scott Hall said, you know, hey, I did that in every match. I thought Stevie would know how to react. And Stevie wasn't offended. He was just like, hey, I'm just doing my job. But yeah, what a moment. And then the match just just goes off from there. You've got, you know, the weird stuff with Sherry, which we're going to have to discuss. Oh, yeah. Being back in 2020, I know the outsiders were getting cheered in this match, but the whole cool guy kissing the bad manager to a huge ovation is just weird. It, it's strange. It is so strange too because, like, Sherry's entire role, like, not discounting all the good that she has done in her career because she's got a stellar career when you think about her work with Shawn Michaels and stuff like that. Mm. But the fact that she's literally reduced to you're just a hysterical woman in this in this piece <laughs> in 1996, yes, that's all fun and dandy. But, yeah, when you watch it in 2020, it's, yeah, no good. What about hashtag yeah. cancel Shivani for saying, well, she asked for it? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's really... I, I, you know, I think this stuff is important. I think there's there's a big push right now to, you know, oh, this is bad, we should learn from it and not do it go moving forward. And that's great. That's a great message and I agree 100%. But I think it's interesting to look back at the mid-90s and see that set up for a moment and go, it's interesting to see how a crowd gets behind that in the 90s. And it makes me happy to see that you fast forward 25 years and it, you the crowd wouldn't react the same way now if that happened. They would go, eh, maybe that's not the best idea. So I, I think even though you look back at it and go, yeah, that, that wouldn't fly now, it's good to see that we've evolved past that yeah. a little bit, I think. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, if, if <clears throat> they made that decision, it's like the old school, you know, the, the foreign guy comes out and demands everyone be upstanding for the Russian national anthem and Mr. Mm-hmm. America comes out and beats him up. And all, It's one of those old tropes and um, it definitely got that crowd in that time super invested in that moment. And Scott Hall, I mean, I mean, he could have he could have tombstone pole drived her in that moment. Yeah, and stood up and high fived him. You know, it, they just were so into it. Yeah, and it, look, you don't even have to go back too far when you look at like, um, you know, in TNA in 2013, Dixie Carter going through a table. Uh, mm. which was probably in hindsight, as everyone agrees, was the worst decision ever. But it was just. Yep, that's part and parcel. Anything's fine in wrestling because it's wrestling. So it is good to see that we have moved on a little bit of that. But another downer to this match was this was a fantastic match, but the ending, so meh, just really, really leaves a, a bad taste because it's just so poorly done. Simon, you were, you and I sort of, sort of are on the same plane when it comes to Harlem Heat in terms that they don't really have bad matches. Do you feel that this ending was just a bit... Oh, someone's stuffed up here. Well, I mean, that's WCW for for you. Like I said, this is one of my favorite WCW matches of all time, despite its crappy ending, because it's almost like, well, you sort of, you know, you almost give it give it a bit of a handicap there. You're like, well, it's WCW. Sure, it had a crappy ending, but that's as good as you're going to get because mm. things always felt a little unplanned and a little messy. The crowd reaction is huge at the end when the NWO wins, so they could overlook it. Maybe something like that wouldn't fly now because, you know, crowds are, are like, oh, well, that was a botch or that didn't end how yeah, I thought it would it have. definitely would happen. I think yeah. back here, if you look at it with, you know, 96 glasses on, you can sort of overlook that, you know, and be more forgiving. And look, look how entertaining the match was. I, I think, you know, a sloppy ending doesn't really affect it too much in hindsight. Mm. Look, 
it was a pretty stellar match, as you sort of said. And yeah, they did screw it up, but that happens all the time. And it didn't really take anything away from it. If anything, it adds to it because it's like those dastardly outsiders, da-da-da-da-da. And it also moves the Colonel away from um, Harlem Heat, which is kind of a good thing as well. Mm, yeah. Which I think we can all agree is pretty good. So the Outsiders have got the win, and we're about to get to the main event of the pay-per-view, but we first have a World War Three promo. And for those that might... Any people that haven't lived through the Monday Night War, World War Three was essentially uh, a Royal Rumble times three. Is that the best way to describe it, Simon? Yeah, pretty much. Um, <laughs> battle Royal rules. It's three rings. It's three Battle Royals going in at once. As a kid, it sounded amazing. Like, imagine you've ne- if you've never seen it, and I told you, what if there was a three-ring Royal Rumble? It sounds awesome, doesn't it? Go back and watch one and let me know what you think, you know? Yeah. WCW loved the rule of threes, man. Like, oh, well, we can't do a cage match. Let's put three cages on top of each other. Let's, let's get three rings involved. It was, it, it's a logistical nightmare. I mean, rings are not cheap. So I don't, you know, it's, it's a lot of money they're spending for the gimmick. But you've got that coming up, right? That's the next show, right? For you mm-hmm. guys. And not Sadly, only that, too. Yes. Not only that, <laughs> but like three rings on a four by three screen. Mm, don't work. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there was no IMAX cameras back then. <laughs> no. But we got to get to the main event. Now, the main event is we, we take it back up to uh, Dibiase. Uh, well, the Dibiase spot in the balcony. But uh, Dibiase is nowhere to be found instead. It is Hulk Hogan. Well, actually, he's there, but Hulk Hogan, Hollywood Hogan with a hairpiece because he proudly brags. He's like, I was just filming the new Three Ninjas movie and I've got Santa with muscles coming out. So he's plugging his movies and yeah, it's, it's so strange because the hairpiece for the, because obviously we're audio medium here, Rose, do your absolute best to paint the picture of what Hulk Hogan looks like with his hairpiece. Oh boy. Okay. Um, he looks, uh, he looks a little bit like a tennis player who's just lost a really long, close match. Like he looks exhausted, like this short, spiky blonde. It's like this uh, weird, like short, spiky blonde hair. Like I, I got quite excited when I saw it actually, because it felt like an alternate universe comic book kind of storyline. Like, <laughs> oh, this is this is Hollywood Hogan before they figured out what makes Hollywood Hogan works. But stupid me, I didn't realize what was coming in the match. Uh, but at that moment, I got really excited. I mean, man, this Hogan, this Hogan has missed the mark completely. That haircut is midlife crisis dad stuff you know it's when your dad comes home with a craig david cd and that haircut and you're like oh dad what are you doing well talking about um midlife crisis hogan though to add to that again he's been doing this for a few shows now he tried shoehorning in his own personal nwo catchphrase that never caught on yo 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 it's time for hollywood because he was trying to make Yo, 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 it's time for the NWO thing. And that is the one catchphrase that doesn't exist anymore. Too sweet for life. All of that stuff, we all still say it, but Hogan's yo, 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 that's gone with his hairpiece. Like, it didn't work, mate. What also didn't work, he also mentions NWOites. Yeah, actually. That was a thing he was trying to do too. None Hmm. of the other guys did it. Hall and Nash were like, you do whatever you want, mate. We're not doing that. (laughs) Yeah, but, it, it was a bit like 
he's the kind of the corny dad and they're like yeah cool yeah we're all gonna roll together in this band now yeah 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 what if we all get hoverboards yeah yeah that's cool okay that's a good idea it's like, oh, kids, I can do an ollie. Like, yeah, well, well, well done, Dad. That's I mean, all that, good. But that weird, cool separation was there earlier than I thought because I thought it came in later with the wolf pack when that was starting to become a thing. But you look at it here. Hogan's using di- different catchphrases, like we said. He's wearing black and white, whereas Hall and Nash were always wearing black and red. So it's mm-hmm. almost they left him to his own devices to a point. They were like, yeah, if you think that's cool, go with it. We're going to do this real stuff over here. <laughs> that basically sums it up to a T. But uh, so Macho Man makes his um, epi- epic entrance here, uh, oh. and you want to talk about epic? They also bring up uh, what was her name again? It was Joan oh, Joan <laughs> McCulloch from Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for her to pop her head out of the big the monster truck and be in it. Because the monster truck, so they dim the lights and everything, and they focus on the monster truck. There's pyro, there's everything like that. It's the Macho Monster Truck, and it's it, just there. It's great because Macho has to kind of kill time because they've, they've, they, maybe, maybe it takes a bit to jumpstart the Monster Truck, and then it has to get over a couple of cables, etc. So mm-hmm. he's just standing there doing the Macho like arms for ages, looking like an awkward Slim Jim in his outfit. <laughs> and then the Monster Truck comes out over the wires and finally gets out of the curtain, and... Uh, at, it just so happens that Mushroom Man's not looking at the monster truck at that moment, and the do- the driver nails it like bam, and it goes and it comes out, and Macho turns and it's coming straight at it. Like I thought, I thought this was going to be like that time I went to the NRL Grand Final and Jimmy Barnes got out of a military helicopter and the helicopter almost landed on him while he was in the, <laughs> the middle of KSAN. I was like, this is going to be a moment forever. Macho Man gets run over by his own monster truck. So it was a great little fear moment there for me. They missed a chance here, though. If they needed to kill time for the entrance of the monster truck, they had Bruce Buffer right there. Imagine he did one of his Bruce Buffer introductions for the truck, you oh. know, standing at 20 feet tall. It has four <laughs> wheels and a giant hat, you know. Oh. Just, it would have been awesome. That's genius. Also, why didn't they ever fight over to the monster truck? They could have gotten involved with it. In some way, right? Slam his head on a tire or something. It would have been good. Yeah, Mahogan in front of it on his knees going, no, and like Macho Man revving the engine. You could have <laughs> had, some, had some great moments. But yeah, the Bruce Buffer entrance uh, is so good and I forgot about it until he started talking. Uh, is, is it Bruce Buffer or is it... Sorry, brand? Michael Buffer. Michael Buffer. Right. Buffer. Isn't that crazy that they're brothers, the two most iconic fighting announcers of all time, they're brothers? I, have I you feel read like the story you... about their history? We're just going to go down a rabbit hole here if you want to take a diversion quickly. Yeah, You know, they didn't grow up together. They're like 20 years apart. Bruce Buffer had no idea Michael Buffer was his brother. He saw him on a boxing show with his dad and he was like, am I related to him? They tracked each other down somehow and then Michael Buffer taught Bruce how to be an announcer and got him these small gigs. He's like, mate, I can't help you. I can only help you to a point. And Bruce ended up like taking off with MMA because it was in his early days and Michael Buffer was like, oh, you can take this gig with the UFC, like whatever that is, I'm going to go do (laughs) boxing still. And it's like some weird thing. They didn't know each other for like 30 years. It's wild. For a second there, for a second there, I honestly thought you were going to say they didn't know each other until like 30 years and one was like just 
coincidentally started announcing MMA. One did boxing until they both met. It's like, you're an announcer. I'm an announcer. What's your name? <laughs> did we just become best friends? Yeah. Wait, what's your mum's name? <laughs> this is getting weird now. <laughs> That's great. He's amazing, though. What an intro. Like, what an amazing intro he does. But it, it was all timed kind of weirdly because he was like halfway through Hogan's entrance. Yeah, and, and then Marcho's yeah. music hit and they had to like stop it. It was very awkward. Yeah, it was weird. It's absolutely so strange. But uh, yeah, they finally get to the match and there's just shenanigans at go-go. First off, it's, it's is the giant allowed at ringside? Can Dibiase be here? Then they Enough do the about the giant. <laughs> <laughs> but but they do the then they do the old Hulk Hogan pantomime kind of you know where he like backs away he leaves the this is a staple of WCW main events isn't it and it really kills you after an awesome Outsiders Harlem Heat match too doesn't it? See, I disagree. I love this match. This you is love my, it? my other favorite WCW oh, match. Mate. I realize people hate this match. I went and looked at reviews after the show and everyone's like, this show's good until the terrible main event. But for me as a WWF kid growing up, like this is the flip side to their WrestleMania 5 match, which was serious and about Elizabeth and a real fight. This one, it was both guys must have got drunk and then just said, what's the dumbest match we can have? And they did it. Hogan is the best cartoony heel. Macho Man is the best cartoony face. There's a wig that Macho Man puts on and he puts oh, on he cosplays. Like, he cosplays as Hogan. It's amazing. If Yeah, this is wrestling. This is five stars. Forget what you think a seven-star match is. This is seven stars. I loved it. It, it did have a really great uh, playful feel to it. I will agree yeah. with you there. Is that it? It, the whole show didn't really take itself too seriously. It's a Halloween show, so hmm. everyone's kind of mucking around. And, and Slim Jim's obviously pay a ton to be all over the show because, it, I mean, once you have – I liked what you said about the ring post and the ring being all Slim Jim styled, but once you get an actual walking, spinning Slim Jim in, in Macho Man in the middle of that, there's a lot of Slim Jim going on yeah. at once, right? Uh, it looked like Willy Wonka's chocolate factory kind of. It was just happy to see Slim Jim. Yeah, 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 very slim thing. But – then, then uh, I had did. Elizabeth too. Oh my god, she was gorgeous. Mm. She she was stunning. That outfit, I was just w- w- nuts for that outfit. I, I need to find that outfit for my partner Zoe. She would look amazing in that. Uh, but I did the, the the like going back to the hair moment, right? The wig. I didn't. I didn't know. I forgot completely. Forgot that that was a, a wig. I just thought, oh, he's gone through this weird phase and he's done his hair like this, and he'll change it back in a couple months. But when he pulled the wig off. I immediately flipped on this match. And I was like, ah, I'm in now. I really enjoyed this. This is fun. Hogan's got it in his mouth while he's being thrown around <laughs> ringside. Right. And uh, I just, of all the flack that Hogan cops for being who Hogan was in the, in the politics of wrestling, there are some amazing moments in his career where he just takes it on the chin. Like he knows that the funniest thing right now is just to him get whooped and look like a complete idiot. And I will give that to Hogan is that, he would, he would take the sh- – and this is a great example of that. He, he took the beating and he looked like a, a goose. He oh, even God. gets dacked later in the match and the crowd goes wild, like Hogan mm. literally showing his ass and it gets a huge ovation. Like this is every classic like cheap heel tactic you can get and it's so much fun. I think Hollywood Hogan is super underrated for how yeah. entertaining he was as a bad guy. You want to talk about how cliched sort of cartoony villain bad guy it is. 
the ref bump and then Nick Patrick coming in really takes it to that next level of just like, like I said, this isn't a wrestling match. This is pantomime. <laughs> oh, dude. I, I should have, I know I was going to say it earlier, but Nick Patrick, he's the guy with the neck brace, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. He was driving me nuts. Uh, like, halfway through this show, I was like, why is this guy refing so many matches? He could barely, he could barely hit his head on the ground three times. And then, obviously, you know, it was stupid me. I didn't see it <laughs> coming towards the end. But, yeah, it was a real – because this goes on. I know that the sold-out show, which I'm, I'm mm-hmm. sure is in your future at some point, it was just a Nick Patrick-a-thon just ruining everything. So <laughs> yeah, is this the birth of that? No, what's funny, they planted the seeds really well and really slowly because what's hilarious, you're our second guest to have that same observation. When we had Owen on Digital Beard for Road Wild – or Hogwarts, yeah, yeah. sorry. He said, oh, the ref was terrible. Did you see his botch at the end? And I was like, no, that was on purpose. That's how good Nick Patrick was. You know, you didn't mm. know. You didn't know. Yeah. And then he eventually became a heel, the heel WCW ref in the WWE when they did the invasion. Mm. So he's just always had that dastly oh. sort of... Um, yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I've just put... In giant letters after Nick Patrick, shenanigans with two exclamation marks. <laughs> yeah, that was that was shenanigans. This was a, a classic WCW ending. Can I ask, is this Russo stuff? Is this Russo being head? Oh no. no. No, no, this, this is, is years before. This right. is just just complete and utter early WCW. Are we on to lightning in a bottle? Because as you said, like look, a lot of people might go like Rose, how could you not know that was fake hair? Let's not forget, Hollywood Hogan also at one point shaved his moustache. We've also had Hogan, when he uh, came in 1994, went to black pre- previously to um, being Hollywood Hogan. So he's definitely trying to reinvent himself. So if you go, yeah, he's wearing hair, seems about right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It fits in that timeline. But um, look, we get to the end of the match and post-match, it's a shenanigans to go ho. Uh, go go! And what's weird is the giant coming in with a giant bucket of ice, like the weird. Oh. Like he, he wakes up because Hulk Hogan's just down for, out for the count here, and it's just bizarre that the giant decides to completely pour um, ice water on him. Yeah, why yeah. does he do that? To wake it him up. It was like yeah. the icing on the cake for this stupid cartoony match. I don't know why it felt like a joke, but it was, yeah. Yeah. Here's what I'm thinking, hmm. right, is that they wanted Hogan to win, but they didn't want... It's, Did it's essentially the there? Triple H... Yeah, it's a Triple H Undertaker WrestleMania match. And hmm. Hogan's retaining his title, but Macho walks out. Hogan hmm. had to be revived. He's dead in the ring, even though he won the match. And... It was great that they gave the giant to do that task because he's an absolute klutz and spilled <laughs> half of the ice all over the mat when he got to the apron, which was hilarious. And then uh, pours it all over Hogan and Hogan does the comical, oh, I'm up, I'm up. So I think that's what they were trying to do is make Macho look strong even though he didn't win the belt. Do you think the horsemen watched this moment and they thought, oh, we could have just revived Arn if we poured some ice water on him after that torture rack? <laughs> <laughs> just... <laughs> I think someone said grab the ice and they thought of something else. (laughs) Maybe it all plays into the narrative because like the reason that Hogan wins the match is because the giant puts his arm over it, over thing, but he's like, Oh no, I've done too much damage. I better wake up the boss. 
what can I do? And he's gone out back and found that big jug of ice water and just poured it on. The thing that puts me off, it's not a bucket of ice water. It's like a, I don't know how to describe it. It's like a bowl. Yeah, I thought they were going to put champagne in it. I thought it yeah. was like a, a celebration uh, champagne thing. And did you notice also when he was done with it, he chucks it ringside and there was these two dudes sitting front row that I noticed first match. Matching white 90s shirts, those weird uh, Ray-Ban like sunnies on their forehead. And they were just so jacked to be front row. They kept high-fiving each other like, yeah, I, I noticed weird stuff, but I watch wrestling. And when they did the ice water thing, uh, Giant just threw it outside and one of the dudes caught it. And he's like, I got a souvenir. <laughs> he's probably still got that full of ice and champagne in his house. They were so stoked. That's every the day. best souvenir you could ever get from a wrestling show, though. Because every time you have a barbecue and you've got some beers in your backyard in that bowl, you'd be like, yeah. you know where I got that? Halloween Havoc. Like, the best story ever. Yeah, it's <laughs> just, a great... It, it'd just be like... Yeah, and you know what else? Look, I'll tell you what. Have this Slim Jim, and I'll tell you the story all about how I got this. <laughs> yeah, sit down and have this Slim Jim. My sister, just a little quick side note, my sister was a production manager for many, many years, and she worked on the filming of the Matrix sequels that was filmed mm-hmm. in Sydney when they filmed both together at the same time. And when they finished the filming, they were, they, they'd rented an apartment for Keanu Reeves in Sydney to live. They were selling off a bunch of stuff from his apartment. And my sister bought the phone and fax machine in one, which was a huge thing back then, mm-hmm. and a sunbed. So we had this like sunbed in our backyard. We didn't have a pool, but we had a sunbed. And we go, yeah, it's Canary's sunbed. He, he used to lay on that naked, <laughs> I should. That um, is amazing. Yeah. Right? <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> We're going to need a photo of that so we can put it up on our socials. I'll hunt it down. I'll hunt it down. So after the match, you think, right, I pay for you done and dusted. Oh, no. It's a WCW pay-per-view, people. Hogan does his rambling post-match promo until all of a sudden we hear some bagpipes. And I love the fact that everyone's like, what's that music? It's freaking wrestling and that's bagpipes. What do you think it is? (laughs) (laughs) Again, the timing. Like, I work for a wrestling company. I would be fired if the timing was this bad. Like... My God, like you play the music, you come out. There was just so many times where there was a lot of hurry up and wait going on in these crucial moments. I, and you feel for Hogan in that time, right? Because he's got to kind of kill time until... Until finally the reveal of Rowdy Roddy Piper comes out. And Piper comes out and it's just... He looks confused. Did you feel that he looked confused, Simon? <laughs> Who's that? Piper or Hogan? Both. Either. <laughs> because... <laughs> Hogan looked confused because he kept it kept looking like Hogan was like, all right, I know we've got five minutes. Are you going to get through it? But obviously he couldn't say, hey, man, hurry it up. And yeah. Piper just went on. And I love Roddy Piper, but Hulk Hogan a few times was like in his eyes. He could see he was frustrated. You don't really see Hulk Hogan break character much, but you could see here he was like, get to the point, Piper. And he was like trying to wink like, no, for real. Hurry up, like, my God, yeah. this went in circles forever. Because Piper starts talking about how, like, you've been in movies, I've been in movies. You're a wrestler, I'm a wrestler. You're a millionaire, I'm a millionaire. And then, as you said, Hogan's like, yeah, yep, good, all these are valid points, what do you want? And he's like, I'm not here to fight for WCW. I'm not here to fight for the NWA. I'm not here to fight for your social security. I, and it's like, what? And then Hogan is desperately trying to go. And then... 
<laughs> to the point where Piper even starts going, do you remember WrestleMania 1? Well, I... <laughs> you could see Hogan roll his eyes at that point. He was like, Jesus. <laughs> My favourite line from Piper, though, talk about a low bar. I'm just as big a Hollywood star as you are. Like, all right, guys, you're fighting over last place. I also liked Piper's line of, uh, I'm the reason you don't have any hair, which I thought was a really good um, <laughs> insult in that moment. But, um, uh, yeah, this was two guys who thought they could just promo and it would be fine. And I, it, this gave me crazy PTSD. I was just like, why would you end the show in a conversation, dude? Like, that, you just had a crazy moment. Go home. Get out of there. Like, you don't need to tell anymore. I like the Piper thing, but let him walk to the ramp and look at each other. Sort it out on Nitro. You don't need mm. to have the conversation there. But it was two egos that couldn't nail it down. And no one was leading in that argument. There was two guys going, let me tell you something. No, let me tell you something. No, let me mm. tell you something. And it was just a nightmare. And my girlfriend came home at that moment and she goes, what are you watching? And I go, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> because I don't know any- okay, anyone without context would have just walked in and seen you watch two old men rambling. Yep. That's it. That's, yep. the, that's the context. And the best part of this too was like every now and then the giant sort of moves forward and Roddy Papa goes, pipe down, Sprout. <laughs> what? They were calling him Sprout and Jolly Green Giant and like sometimes Piper just has the worst insults. For all the great things he does, he does some absolute garbage too and this was an example of it. Should have called him Girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> But just to give you an idea of how much they're probably running over time. So we've made uh, a big deal about mentioning that every WCW pay-per-view ends with the rolling of credits, like as if it was a movie. This one is just Tony Schiavone going, well, we got to go, guys. And then bang, pay-per-view done. And yeah, no rolling of credits. Sentence. He's still like, <laughs> and another thing, Hogan, and they're gone. <laughs> Yeah, it wasn't. They didn't have time to have rolled the credits because they'd rolled two oh. old dudes out in wheelchairs instead to have an argument. But yeah, there was that weird thing where they finished it and Hogan had left, and then Piper found the belt. He's like, "Hey, I got your belt now!" And then Hogan's back in the ring, and I'm like, "Please, someone put these people back in their nursing homes." It's just getting wild out here. It was the oddest ending to a pay per view, but nonetheless. Tied the bow nicely on Halloween. Ha- Slim Jim presents Halloween Havoc 1996. And, and Rose, we'll start off with you, man. What were your impressions of this, especially coming into it cold as well? I want to thank you guys for inviting me on this. I really loved what you guys have done with Grey Wolf and, and everything you guys are doing with this podcast. It's a really fun idea. And when you invited me, it was the, just such a great excuse to go back into this era. And uh, I think... Halloween Havoc is an interesting one, like we said, because it doesn't feel like a huge blow-off show. It's like a, it's, it's like a side show in a weird way, and I kind of enjoyed the playfulness of it. So uh, I thought the last hour was particularly fun, and I thought the first match was uh, something I needed to see right now, actually. It was just like a really good wrestling match in front of a crowd that appreciates it. I think right now, more than ever, we, we don't realise how much we missed that, and I think there were some really good moments in that that made me... Happy to be a wrestling fan. And I'm hungry for a Slim Jim, so. <laughs> that's, probably the, that's probably the biggest understatement of the entire show there. Simon, what did you think uh, for WCW's October offerings? Well, I've generally been down on some of these WCW shows as a whole, but this one I really liked. 
like Rose said, that opening match, a great wrestling match in front of a hot crowd was so good. And then the last hour, you know, I don't really have to go into detail again, but two of my favorite WCW matches ever, and you get them back-to-back here, Harlem Heat and Outsiders, Hogan and Macho Man, just these over-the-top, silly, fun matches where the crowd is just going wild. And I think that's what makes it. The crowd just loving it makes you love it as a fan. And yeah, this pay-per-view, I'd recommend it. I'd say snap into it. <laughs> well, well, we've talked for almost as long as the pay-per-view, so you could just put us on at the same time as the pay-per-view. Great watch. Yeah. Well, who do we think was the MVP of this show? We normally pick just one standout performer. Me Is first? there any question? Is there yeah, any go question? For a road. You go first. No, go ni- no, Nim. No, I want to hear no, Nims. No. Is there any no. question? No, no, no. You I, go. Okay. All right, I have to go with the monster truck. I thought they had a really good performance. <laughs> Probably the best entrance of the night. I thought that was a really good performance. Uh, I also think Mike today did fantastic with the liability read before <laughs> pulling out the thing. So they two standout performances. Uh, but if I'm being serious, I just I, I, I was really happy to see young Rey Mysterio wrestle. Mm. I, I, that made especially with where we are in WWE right now with his son doing amazing stuff. I, I, that made me really happy. See, I got one out of left field here. Definitely for me, Ted DiBiase. Because when you think about it, he completely buries WCW, pumps up the NWO, but at the same time doesn't completely can WCW. Mm. He was almost the host of this pay-per-view. Like from hour two in, he hosts the show. It's kind of cool. Yeah, mm. and and he also gave us that line of uh, the fine young athlete, Chris Jericho. <laughs> <laughs> he should use that gimmick. That'd be a great gimmick to use now for yeah. Chris Jericho, the fine young athlete, Chris Jericho. That would be amazing. What about you, Simon? What's your MVP? Because this is kind of a cast of 9,000 here. Everyone sort of does mm. their bit, except for Mongo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was going to be Mongo, but now that you said that, I don't want to be embarrassed. Um I'm, I'm like not even trying to just be funny or whatever. I'm going to go Lex Luger. His promo made me laugh so much because I've seen this pay-per-view a few times, especially those last two matches. But having no recollection of Lex Luger ever talking about cactuses and the thicket of things you've never seen, that line is going to be stuck with me forever. So I'm giving it to Lex and his crazy hair. Well, there you go. Uh, guys, we've got a WWF pay-per-view to do next. It's Buried Alive. Son and I will cover that. It's the WWF's October offerings. Uh, Rose, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on board, uh, Reliving the War. Anyone wants to follow him, make sure you do it. At Andrew Rose knows. He's also the voice of PWA. You and our other good buddy, Chris Gale, also do some fantastic work with PWA. Uh, do they have any upcoming shows slash DVDs or video on demand that we can check out if we don't know their work? Yeah, we're coming back, baby. October 10th, um, we're doing a show live from our academy uh, here in Sydney. Uh, we've got about 50 people in the crowd and we will be streaming live on Ovo Play, like all our shows. So we're excited to get back. Yeah, 100% there too. Remember, you can catch up on all of the archives on the Grey Wolf Entertainment website, greywolfentertainment.net. Uh, there's a couple of highlights, non-wrestling, that you can check out. Uh, Alex Winter, the star of Bill & Ted Face the Music, he's been interviewed by our buddy Ned. Uh, make sure you check that out. Very, very oh. cool. Also, the NBA you know, scene. I love that a- movie. I'm going to yeah. listen to that, yeah. Yeah, get your ears around that one, Rose. But um, yeah, well, make sure you Keanu's do that. Well, you sunbed, so you know what a small world. Oh, I could have asked him about it. They could have. Yeah, we could have passed the message on to Keanu that if he wants that sunbed back, just give me a call. 
There you go. It all links together. But um, <laughs> check that out. Grey Wolf ENT on all the socials, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You could follow me on Twitter at DocNames. You could follow Simon at Simon Tackler. But this has been Reliving the War. We'll catch you next time for WWF Buried Alive. Pal. <laughs> <laughs> This has been another presentation from the Grey Wolf Entertainment Network, greywolfentertainment.net.